Please, will you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 6, that portion that Gary read to us uh, a few minutes ago, chapter 6, and uh, we're not going to be looking at the whole section that Gary um, read to us. Uh, We're going to be focusing on the first eight verses this morning, um, but I'll fill you in uh, a little bit later as we get there, Uh, but please do keep this portion of God's Word uh, open before you. So, so what a week has just passed um, as we look at the scene of world history, uh, as Russia invaded the Ukraine, as uh, political leaders have gathered across the whole of Europe to try and figure out how to respond to President Putin and his bold claims for Russian sovereignty. Thanks, Gary. Listening to the news and looking at various blogs and emails that are coming out at the moment, many people are concerned that, that these events uh, could accelerate or initiate World War III. Uh, and should that happen, uh, I did a bit of research, did you know that the following countries are ready for World War III with an arsenal of nuclear warheads? Russia has 730 America around 700, China 260, Israel 200, Pakistan 120, India 120, the UK 45, France 30, and North Korea around 10. What a frightful list. That's over 2,200 nuclear bombs. The world as we know it would be utterly wiped out. So as we look at how quickly the scene of world history can can change from relative peace perhaps a month ago to local wars to global extinction, surely we must be asking the question as Christians, where is God in the midst of all of this? Does God see what is happening? Is he taken by surprise or is he in control? Now about 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on the earth, and we read in Matthew 24, uh, you can turn there if you would like to, Matthew 24 uh, verse 3, that Jesus' disciples asked him some similar questions. In Matthew 24 verse 3, we read, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. For many will come in my name, sorry, for many will come saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear, verse 6, of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, or because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Does that ring a bell? 
from our studies in Revelations, but he who conquers will be saved. And then Jesus says in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What incredible words to consider as we look across our world today. Everything that Jesus explained to his disciples is visible right now on the canvas of world history in February 2022. But can I caution us not to fall into the trap of of modern Western individualistic thinking, which makes us think that world history is somehow all about us and what we are experiencing today. Because we only need to give a a kind of cursory glance over the last 2,000 years of history and we will see that all of these events that Jesus described have characterized every generation for this entire period. So while the words of Jesus certainly do apply to what we see happening right now in our world today, we also see that the words of Jesus have applied equally to every generation of history since his first coming, and will continue to characterize the scene of world history until his second coming. Now the Bible is is absolutely clear that we are, are living in what is known as the last days. And this is what John wants us to see as we come to, to Revelation chapter 6 and 7. As the Lamb takes the, the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne, as we saw last week, and he begins this week to open the, the seven seals to reveal God's plan of redemption and judgment particularly as we consider this period of history known as the last days, the Bible is clear that the last days began with the first coming of Jesus Christ and will continue until the second coming of Jesus Christ when he brings about the end of the world. I don't have time to go into that this morning, but if you are confused about this definition of the last days, please go and read Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 9, and 2 Peter 3, verse 1 to 7. There is no doubt that we are living right now in the biblical period known as the last days. And so what does Jesus want us to understand about this period? What did he want those early Christians to understand about the days that they were living through, days in which there was Great opposition to the gospel. Days in which Christians were being persecuted and martyred for their faith. Days, by the way, in which evil governments and powerful dictators were proclaiming themselves as sovereign as they invaded neighboring territories. Days in which it seemed that everything was out of control. We've seen over the last two studies that Jesus wanted the churches then, remember this was a letter primarily given in its initial context to those seven churches in Asia Minor. Jesus wanted them to know that God is still on the throne, that he rules sovereignly over all his created universe. And more specifically, he wanted them to know that the lamb wins. The lamb who was slain, we saw last week, is standing victoriously. 
And he alone is worthy to take the scroll of God's eternal decrees and and to break the seals and to open the scroll and to execute that which God has purposed in terms of redemption and judgment. So let's turn now to Revelation chapter 6 and see what we are meant to understand as Jesus takes the scroll and he opens the seals. And I had planned, as I mentioned, to, to look at the whole chapter 6 today. I, I'm certainly um, a bit optimistic coming to the book of Revelation in terms of the, the, the ground that I think I'm going to be able to cover. Um, but we're going to just look at verses 1 to 8 this morning. But let me just give you uh, the chapter quickly in summary. Uh, we're going to see firstly this morning four horsemen, but one captain. That's verses 1 to 8. And then next week we'll move on to see in verses 9 to 11, great persecution, but one captain. And then uh, at the end of the chapter in verses 12 to 17, terrible judgment, but one captain. And so in the first place today, I want us to see uh, these four horsemen with one captain in verses 1 to 8. And these first eight verses reveal to us the opening of these first four seals of the scroll. And as each seal is opened, we see a specific horse coming out with, with a rider on it. It's being summoned, each one by one of the four living creatures, to go out into all the earth and to accomplish a specific purpose. Now this section has become known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And before we look at these four horsemen individually, which we'll do in a moment, I want you to see something up front, which if we miss, if we don't see this, it will lead to a very confusing misunderstanding with regards to these four horsemen. I want you to see that although there are four individual horses and riders, they all have one captain, one commander. In verse 2, Look at verse 2. We see that the first rider was given a crown. We'll look at that in a minute. Then in verse 4, we see the second rider was given a sword and permitted to take peace from the earth. In verse 6, we see the third rider was told what he could and could not execute on the earth. And then in verse 8, we are told that the fourth rider was given authority over one quarter of the earth. So before we consider exactly who these horses or what these horses and riders represent, we must see that they all proceed from the opening of the scroll, a scroll that was in the right hand of God Almighty, a scroll that no one else was worthy to open except the Lord Jesus Christ, And it is clear that God who sits on the throne of heaven then is the the commander who allocates to each horse and its rider the mission which God seeks to accomplish on the earth. And so this then must inform our interpretation of these horses and their riders. Each one is being called out, it's being summoned. It comes in obedience to one of the four living creatures around the throne. And then it is given this divinely appointed or authorized purpose and mission on the earth. And so with that in mind, let's consider the first one in verse one. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. 
And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And so there's the first one, the white horse whose rider conquers. Now you will see in your diagram, and I hope you all have your diagram, which I gave out a few weeks ago, that I'm identifying this first rider as Jesus Christ who rides out conquering and to conquer. Now I know that there are some people who interpret all four of these horsemen as demonic and evil, as agents of Satan to bring destruction on the earth. And so they would try to convince us that this first rider on a white horse is some form of antichrist or um, false Christ, and an imposter who pretends to be Jesus and whose purpose it is to conquer the Christians or the believers on the earth. But as I've already shown you, these, these horses and, these, and, and their riders, they come out of the scroll of God's eternal decrees and they are summoned from heaven to carry out their mission and they are all under the sovereign reign and rule of God who sits on the throne. What kind of a God would he be if these horses and their riders were outside of his sovereign purposes? So we need to let Revelation interpret these symbols for us. And if we do, we will see that this first rider is clearly none other than Jesus Christ himself. Why do I say that? Well, firstly, the flow of the book tells us this. Chapter five has, has just concluded with, with all of heaven and all of creation bowing down in worship of God and of the Lamb. And specifically, just look back at chapter five, verse 13. These words were ringing in John's ears. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. And then immediately chapter six, verse one goes on to tell us of this first rider on a white horse given a crown who came out conquering and to conquer. How strange it would be if all of heaven turns from the worship of God and of the lamb only to behold the antichrist. Surely not. But secondly, if words mean anything, we are told three specific things about this rider. We are told that his horse is white, he's given a crown, and he goes out to conquer. Now firstly, the word white is used 17 times in the book of Revelation, and every other time uh, it refers either to God himself and his attribute of holiness or righteousness, or it refers to the people of God who've been clothed with white garments of God's righteousness. So surely then here, this white must have a direct reference to God. Secondly, we see that he is given a crown by God. I mean, it's, it's clear that those who are giving, the, the command to give or to instruct is all coming from the throne. And so we see this first rider is given a crown. And so we again encounter this idea of rulership or authority. What a fitting description for Jesus, 
who we already told at the beginning of the book in chapter one, verse five, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then thirdly, we are told that he goes out conquering and to conquer. And here again in the book of Revelation, the word conquer or conquering occurs 17 times and 15 of those times the word conquer is applied to Jesus or to his people who conquer through him. But there's more, there's more to this. We, we have two clear scriptural references which confirm to us that this rider on the white horse is King Jesus. In Psalm 45, this is a psalm which the New Testament clearly tells us is a, a messianic psalm. In other words, it's a psalm that speaks about the Messiah, that speaks about Jesus. We are told in Psalm 45 verse three, Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows, so by implication a bow, your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. If you're still not sure, then turn ahead with me to Revelation chapter 19, because I think uh, in this case, John gives us a very clear understanding of who exactly this rider on the white horse is. Revelation chapter 19, we'll get to this um, in a couple months' time, but look at verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, conquering and to conquer. And look at verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I could go on. There are many other uh, arguments that support this, but hopefully you are settled in your mind then as to this first rider. He is none other than Jesus Christ riding out in victory over the earth, conquering and to conquer. Now, what does that phrase refer to, conquering and to conquer? And it's quite interesting that it's used twice. And I think there is a, a clear reference um, in the bow to, to the fact that he carries a bow, a weapon of war, that, that he is out to war against his enemies. This is clear from Psalm 45. But there is also another dimension to the conquering of Christ on the white horse, not just crushing his enemies who oppose him, but there's another aspect to the, the conquering of Christ, which I think Jesus himself explained to us in that passage that I read in Matthew 24, verse 14, when Jesus is speaking of the last days, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ, our God is reigning on the throne of heaven, and Jesus is riding out over history on his white horse, conquering the heart of sinners. This morning at the, at the second service, you're going to hear the testimony of seven believers as they go through the waters of baptism whose hearts have been conquered by the King of Kings. And they've been set free from their previous slave master as the gospel was proclaimed and they believed. 
And then we also have this dimension of him ultimately, even now, suppressing and controlling his enemies and one day bringing judgment on all those who reject him. Isn't it wonderful for us to be at this point in history, to look back over 2,000 years of Christ's reign and to see the whole earth covered in the knowledge of the Lord. Yes, not as fully as God intended because he has not yet returned But the gospel has been preached, continues to be preached, continues to be believed in every corner of the globe as men and women and boys and girls from every people and language and tribe and nation hear the good news and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. What an encouragement this must have been to those early Christians to see that as this first seal of the great scroll of God's eternal decrees is opened, that Jesus rides out on a white horse, crowned with glory, armed with justice, to conquer as he builds his kingdom. And we're going to move a, a bit quicker through the next three horses because, again, if you look at your diagram, you'll see that the next three seals reveal, I've titled it there in the diagram, the church militant is persecuted and troubled. Specifically, the next two horses and their riders speak of the direct persecution of God's people on the earth. Uh, old theologians uh, spoke of God's people on earth at any point in history as the church militant. I love that phrase because we are fighting the spiritual battle of faith. We are soldiers in Christ's army and we wage war against Satan and his forces with Christ as our captain. And so in the second place, we see the red horse whose rider slays believers. Verse three, we see that the second horse is is summoned out with the word come uh, from another one of the the living creatures. And this is a bright red horse. Uh, Commentators agree that it's better translated fiery red. And, And its rider was permitted to remove peace from the earth so that people, verse three says, should slay one another. The CSB says so that people would slaughter one another. Now this word slay or slaughter is not the normal word for killing used in war. We'll see that a little bit later. Nor is the sword that is given to this rider the normal long sword that was used in battle. The word slaughter here speaks specifically of the killing of an animal as a sacrifice. And the sword was the short-bladed sword which was used in the sacrificial ritual. It was a sacrificial knife that was given to him. And so this symbol of this fiery red horse and its rider is one of persecution as the people of God are slain for their faith in God, slain for their witness and their testimony to Jesus Christ. Again, please do not disconnect the visions from the context. John was writing to churches across Asia Minor, many of whom already had members in their churches that had been put to death for the name of Christ. What a comfort it must have been to them to know that even these tragic deaths of of family members who were believers for their faithfulness to Christ, it did not happen outside of the knowledge and the purposes of God. It was under his control. These men and women of the faith had not died in vain. Their deaths 
I love this, we're, we're considered by God as sacrificial. They walked in the footsteps of Jesus, who we are told in the previous chapter is the lamb who was slain. Same word, slain, slaughtered, and yet we were told that he lives. He was killed, but he lives. And so the same word in chapter 5, verse 6, and chapter 5, verse 9, and chapter 5, verse 12, to speak of the lamb who was slain is now spoken of these individuals who are slain uh, by people on the earth when the red fiery horse and his rider removes the peace from the earth. And I think this understanding of this horse and its mission uh, is confirmed just a few verses later. Look down at verse 9. We'll look in more detail next week. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those, and he has the same word, who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe. So hopefully if white means white, it means white everywhere. They were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer, and look at this, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Do you see that every Christian who dies as a martyr for their faith does so under the direct purposes and control of God to the point that God has actually predetermined the exact number of saints on the earth, some of them might be you and me, who will enter into glory as martyrs. And every one of their deaths is part of God's eternal purposes and glory. One thing is certain in Scripture, though. Whenever Jesus rides out on his white horse to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, the fiery red horse of persecution will not be far behind. Satan hates Jesus. Satan hates the progress of the gospel. And so he will do whatever he can to remove peace on the earth, particularly peace in the lives of believers. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, he will cause nations to rise up and hate us and will slay us for our faith. But with all his evil intentions to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, his movements are restricted. His power is limited. Not one person will die as a martyr whom God has not purposed according to his perfect will. What a comfort again this must have been to those who were persecuted back in AD 95. What a comfort this must have been to the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of saints over church history who died as martyrs at the stake. What a comfort this must be today to Christians in the Ukraine or anywhere else in the world where we are told that one Christian is martyred for their faith in the world today, every five minutes. Every five minutes. But we must also recognize that not all Christians face such severe persecution. I don't know if you know of anyone who's been martyred for their faith here in South Africa. So what about all the other types of persecution that's kind of targeted against us as Christians? 
God surely has our lives under control. So yes, martyrdom we can understand, but what about the rest? Does God have that under control too? And so in the third place, we see the black horse, the black horse whose rider persecutes believers. We see the third seal is opened and the third horse and its rider is summoned out. And John looks and he sees a black horse and its rider has a pair of scales in his hands. These are, are scales that measure the weights of food in the marketplace. And from the midst of the four living creatures, now we know from earlier descriptions, the four living creatures surround the throne. So if from the midst of the four living creatures, in other words, the center of the throne of God's presence, John hears a statement. Verse six, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And what we have here are the conditions of severe poverty. A denarius was a day's wages. So think about what you earn in a whole day's work and with that you were only able to buy one quart of wheat which was enough to bake a loaf of bread for one person or more um, Cheap was barley, which was less nutritious. So three quarts of barley, also effectively one day's bread. In other words, one day's wage for one day's bread. This is a description of living exactly on the bread line. But notice that the same voice who determines the conditions of this state of poverty also declares that the black horse and its rider must not touch the oil and the wine, which are the symbols of the rich and those who have plenty. So this symbol taken again in the context of what we've been saying so far and the context of the, the letters to the, the seven churches seems to be referring to the persecution of God's people which results in extreme poverty while the rich unbelievers still have plenty of wine and oil. We looked at this exact situation when we studied the seven letters. Many of them were poor because in becoming Christians, in identifying with Jesus in the, in the waters of baptism, when they came out of the waters of baptism back in the day, they were kicked out of their trade guilds. They lost all the support of their family. Most of them lost their employment as skilled laborers and were forced to work in the lowest and most menial tasks in society, literally living from hand to mouth. And so as we consider then these two horses together, the, the fiery red one and the black one, we see that they cover all forms of persecution against the people of God. From the time of Jesus' first coming across all of the last days until Jesus returns. There has not been a single period in world history when people have not been persecuted for their faith. When people have not been martyred for their witness of Christ. And here we are being told that every person who suffers for the name of Christ is under the watchful supervision of God Almighty who sits on the throne. Each of these horsemen, and now please notice that each of these horsemen, while, while executing a plan of evil against the people of God, has had the boundaries of their activity determined and limited by God. And this shouldn't surprise us. We've been told at the beginning of the book of Job, I'd encourage you to go and read the first two chapters of Job this afternoon, where God said to Satan, Satan, where have you been? Satan comes before God. God says to him, where have you been? And he says, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan, who clearly believed the prosperity gospel, said, well, does Job fear you for no reason? You've put a hedge around him. Uh, you've given him all that he has. You've blessed his work. You've given him possessions. He's increased in abundance. But if you stretch out your hand and touch him, he will curse you to his face, to your face. So what does the Lord say to Satan? Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him, his person, do not stretch out your hand. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we read what Satan did, utter destruction that he, that he caused in Job's life, killing his children, robbing him of all his earthly possessions. And then we see the same thing happening in chapter two, where God extends then the permission. Satan comes back and says, well, it's just because um, you, know, you haven't touched his body that he hasn't cursed you. So God says, fine, you can inflict on him disease and sickness and anything you want, just don't take his life. In each case, we see that Satan's intentions were evil. They were malicious. They, they were targeted against God. And Satan sees us as, as humans, as kind of pawns in his chessboard. He doesn't care how many of us get killed along the way, as long as he can get God. But God remains firmly in control, and every attack is limited by God, and it is purposed by God for our good, as you will see at the end of Job, as Job testifies ultimately to the glory of God. And so again, as we consider these two horsemen of persecution, we should not be surprised. Jesus himself said that the apostles continued to witness of the same fact that Christians will face persecution. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. John 15 verse 18, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But even in and through these times of persecution, James reminds us, what does he say in James chapter one? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you see that God's purposes through persecution is to produce perfect Christians? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What a comfort to know that the second and the third horsemen Yes, they are riding out across the earth to, to persecute and kill believers, but King Jesus remains on his white horse, and these horsemen are on a short leash. We need to close today, but there's one more horse and its rider to consider this morning, and so in the fourth place, uh, we see the pale horse whose rider brings death. Let's read verse eight. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and the famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now we have in this final horse and its rider the general trouble 
that comes to all mankind because we know that all mankind has sinned and the wages of sin is death and we live in a broken world where everything dies. This last horse is pale. The, the color is actually pale green. It's the color of, of sickness and, and death. And, and we are told that the rider's name is death and Hades, that's the place of the dead, kind of follows him swallowing up all those who die. But once again, we see that the authority to kill is specifically designated to this horse and rider by God. The scope of his power is limited. We are specifically told that he has been given permission to kill a quarter of mankind by means of sword and famine and pestilence and by wild beasts. And here the sword is a reference to the long sword that was used in war, the long sword of battle. And so this would encompass all the weapons of war uh, in the world today, including, thankfully, the 2,200 nuclear warheads in the hands of world governments today. Famine refers to the shortage of food and economic stability and prosperity that drives people below the breadline to the point of starvation and death. Pestilence covers every form of germ and virus and disease and sickness. And wild beasts refers to the creatures of nature and, and natural disaster. Throughout history, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, the pale green horse has been riding across history. But the number of souls that he can take and the means by which he takes them has been precisely controlled and limited by God. Notice that the horseman called death is no respecter of persons. His actions affect all of mankind. Look at history. Look at your own life, Christian and unbeliever alike. If we don't make too much of the numbers here, uh, the quarter, but if we take a lifespan of humans, about 80 years, the first quarter of the population are, are being born and are young. The second and third quarters are going up the hill and coming down the hill. And the last quarter are those in the season of life facing death. At any point in history, we could argue that a quarter of the world's population are busy dying. For death comes to all mankind. If war breaks out, both Christians and non-Christians die in battle. If global economies crash and the world is driven to poverty, both Christians and non-Christians go hungry. Christians and non-Christians get COVID. Christians and non-Christians died in the Black Plague. Christians and non-Christians get cancer. And natural disasters strike all on the earth. No one is spared. And so to us, it may appear random, it may appear indiscriminate, but our captain is on the throne and he is in full control and all of history is moving to his predetermined conclusion. And so whether it's the direct persecution of the, the second or the third horseman or the general trouble and suffering and death of the fourth horseman that will affect every one of us at some point in our lives, let us never forget that the first horseman is Jesus Christ, that he's wearing the crown, that he goes out conquering and to conquer, and he is our captain. So let me remind you of what our captain said when he was still on the earth. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome 
the world. We can read verses like this and so easily disconnect them from what's going on in our lives right now. That God is really working in all things, even persecution, even martyrdom, even through war in Ukraine or sickness and death in your life or the life of a family member. He is working everything for our eternal glory and his ultimate, uh, our eternal good and, and his glory. And so in the light of this, in the light of the fact that 18 Christians have just been martyred somewhere in the world during the duration of this service, in the light of what's going on in Ukraine as Christians suffer greatly, along with unbelievers, as Russia invades, what a comfort it is to know that these horsemen report to the commander who is God and to the captain of our souls who is Jesus Christ. So please listen carefully as I close from Romans chapter eight. I know this verse well, and I'm gonna read on a little bit, but take it into consideration afresh today in the light of what we've looked at. Romans 8:28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 35, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. May you be encouraged in Jesus today as our captain is on his white horse and he is riding out, conquering and to conquer. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today again for your word. We want to thank you for the, the wonderful, timeless reminder it is that you are on the throne. You are on the throne of world history. You are on the throne of governments and presidents and wars and rumors of wars. But you are also on the throne in the very details of our lives, in sickness and in suffering and even in death. Your plans are perfect. You do not make mistakes. Everything you are doing is for our good and for your glory. Lord, help us to take great comfort as your people in that reality today as we continue to go out and, and wage war, wage war against Satan and, and his forces, but as we wage war in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ on his white horse, who is our captain. Help us, we pray in these things in Jesus' name. Amen.